0: Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for your word, Lord. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the reminder, uh, Lord, to be blessing you, Lord, to be giving you the honor and the glory and the dominion that is due to your name, God. Lord, thank you for all the saints gathering here this morning, Lord, to encourage one another, to stir one another up, God. And Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit now to overflowing, God. Uh, Again, Lord i know apart from you i can do nothing lord so just fill me with your spirit to rightly divide your word god help each of us again myself included to rightly apply it Lord, we just pray for our family we lift up guillermo lord and his family now lord as he's on the final lap of his race god we just pray that you'd be strengthening him and all the family as they go through this season god Continue to be with Ray and Judith. We pray that you'd be helping our sister recover and give the doctors wisdom and discernment with what's going on. Pray for Jessica, Lord. Continue to strengthen her, Lord. The pain she goes through daily, God. We just pray you'd heal her, Lord. Alleviate the pain she goes through, Lord. For our sister Lisandra, Lord. Pray they would be lifting up her health, Lord. And uh, Lord Renee, so many within the flock, Lord. Hector and Vivian, Lord. Just pray that you'd be encouraging our family, Lord. Help us to be that encouragement to one another as well, God. So we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We finally come to the book of Revelation, the last book here in the Bible. And there's some people, they're really weary of this book. There's some people, they look at it and they don't want to touch it with a temple pole. It's just weird and crazy things going on in it. So they sort of stay away from it. Uh, there are other people that have taken this book and they've totally skewed it. They've skewed the words, they've twisted it to mean all types of things that it doesn't really mean. There's some that have used it to sell books, for propaganda, for all sorts of things. And it's good for us to realize what the book is actually about. And there's even believers who can be weary of this book. Martin Luther, he got a lot of things right, but even Martin Martin Luther said, My spirit cannot adapt itself to the book, and the sufficient reason why I do not esteem it highly is that Christ is neither taught nor recognized in it. Uh, Later on, I believe he came around to the book of Revelation, but he had a lot of difficulty with it. Uh, John Calvin, he wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except Revelation. He had a difficulty with the book of Revelation. So, again, even some scholars that we look to were grateful for, they had difficulty with this book. Louis Tauboot he said, he's a commentator on the book, and he said, "...the devil has turned thousands of people away from this portion of God's Word. Satan does not want anyone to read a book that tells of his being cast out of heaven." nor is he anxious for us to read of the ultimate triumph of his number one enemy, Jesus Christ. The more you study the book of Revelation, the more you understand why Satan fights so hard to keep God's people away from it. Listening uh, to Joe Foge in his studies on Revelation, he says, Satan, if there's two books that he confuses, it's Genesis and Revelation. Because from Genesis and Revelation, we get our origin and our destiny. And if you were to understand origin and destiny, then you'll understand how to live between these two points. Satan hates both of these books because it tells us of his origin and his destiny. We find out how he fell from heaven and we find out how he's going to end. Being shackled and tortured for the rest of eternity. We dive in. This will be a little bit different than starting new books. The, the chapter 1 in and of itself is an overview, is an outline, is an introduction. So this will be like part 1 and part 2. Next week we'll look at the true outline, looking deeper into who it's written to and where John is at when he's writing it. But Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, Is near. That word revelation in the Greek is the Greek word, excuse my Greek, but it's apocalypsis. And this is where we get our English word apocalypse. That word apocalypse, it means complete and final destruction of the world. Some of the synonyms are Armageddon or annihilation, devastation, catastrophe. And our world is kind of obsessed with this, if we're honest, right? Our movies, our TV series, many of our books, and even some of our music is all about the final end of the world. The thing is that the Greek word apocalypsis has nothing to do with asteroids or zombies or global warming. Or nukes, or aliens, or maybe you like monkeys taking over the world at the end and that's your view of the apocalypse. It has nothing to do with those things. In the Greek, this word literally means to uncover or to reveal, to expose by removing some covering. Some of you car enthusiasts, you can think of a vehicle when they're test driving it before it's launched. They literally have the car being driven with a drape over it with just the windows all being open. Because they don't want people to know what the car is going to look like until you get to the car show. And it's spinning on, right, the magical giant wheel, right? And then they pull down the drop cloth and then the vehicle is revealed. And now you see it in its entirety. And that's what God has for us In the book of Revelation, Jesus is the object that is being revealed. And yet he is the teacher. He is the one who's revealing more and more of himself. Jesus is both the teacher and the subject of the book of Revelation. Some of you can think of, right? Some of you ladies can think of the design shows with Chip and Joanne saying, Here's your house, right? And they move the two giant uh, cardboard things, right? I wonder how much they spend on those cardboard things every week, right? But they pull those back and you see the new house. If you were into extreme home makeover, right? Move that bus, right? And then it would move and you'd see the new house behind it. Oh, just blown away. And here what we need, what many of us need is a new and true revelation of Jesus Christ. Many of us, we need to meet the real risen Savior, didn't mention this in the morning service, but so many of us, we have a wrong view of Jesus. As we went through 1 John, we saw how many people, they pick and choose their own version of Jesus, right? Most of the depictions is this like surfer hair, blonde guy, right, with perfect hair and perfect smile, kind of floats around, great with kids, and that's the Jesus we think of in the Bible. Yet we forget that Jesus was pretty hardcore, He was a carpenter far longer than he was a rabbi, right? A man's man, if you would. The fishermen of Galilee, they enjoyed spending time with him. He was the man that would cast out the Pharisees out of the temple. He weaved his own whip and drove them out. This is Jesus. And I wish we had time to get through the whole chapter. I encourage you to read the whole chapter when you get home so we're ready for next week. My favorite portion at the end of it is seeing who Jesus really is. He came into this world as a suffering servant. He came in in humility, but that is not who he is anymore. He is the risen Savior. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Again, we'll be looking at that for Christmas. Charles Spurgeon, he says, The great fault of many professors is that Christ is to them a character upon paper. Certainly, he's more than a myth, but yet he's a person of the dim past. He's a historical person who lived many years ago. He did admirable deeds by the which were saved, but who is far from being living, present, and a bright reality. I ask you, how real is Jesus in your life today? Did you meet with him today? Did you hear that still small voice today? Have you spent time with him? Who is he? Is he just another person in your history book that you look at, right? Oh, there's Jesus, the Dalai Lama. Here's this person, that person. Or is he your king, your Lord and Savior? Here he tells us within verse 1 what's the purpose of this book or who, he, who he's writing it to, right? It says, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. You see, God has given us this book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, to show those of us who are his servants the things which must shortly take place. Some of us, right, some of you guys are theologians, right? So you know that John, he's writing this book somewhere in 95 A.D., It's been 2,000 years since he wrote the book, and we read, shortly take place. It's been 2,000 years. What are you talking about, shortly take place, right? For some of us, that was our tia on Thanksgiving night, right? Where is she? We're supposed to eat already, right? And they're running on Cuban time. Is Jesus running on Cuban time? is Is that what's going on? We should be grateful that Christ has delayed his coming. You see, sometimes we get bitter at it. Sometimes we look at the world around us and we say, Lord, where in the world are you? We can turn quickly to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And here we see the heart of the Lord in slowing down His return. And then later on we'll look at the true meaning of that word in the Greek coming shortly. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 9, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." Family, the truth of the matter is that the Lord has delayed his coming. He's delayed answering brothers and sisters of ours, suffering and pleading with him to return that he would save some of us. Right? How many of us we've been saved within the last three years? Anybody you've come to the Lord within the last three years, right? A handful of us. Anybody here got saved within the last 15 years? Again, you don't have to be shameful about being saved, especially in a church. That's a bad place, right? Lots of us, right? We've gotten saved within the last 15 years. What would have happened if Jesus came 16 years ago, right? Where would we be right now? It would be a lot warmer than it is here this morning, right? We'd be in a bad place if he came three and a half years ago. Some of you would be right smack dab in the middle of the tribulation. God has delayed Jesus' return to show grace and mercy and his kindness towards many of us. And that sort of the two-edged sword that we need to deal with, that we're praying and pleading, yes, Maranatha, come, Jesus, come. But yet we need to be praying, saying, Lord, Lord, would you save this person or delay your coming a day? Lord, my prodigal, Lord, my, my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, that co-worker, that family member, Lord, if you don't save them today, Lord, would you delay your coming one more day? That, that's the, the back and forth that we need to wrestle with. Again, why has He come here? Is He asleep? Is He slack? No, He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. That word shortly in the Greek is the word takas, which is where we get our word tachometer from. It means quickly or suddenly coming to pass. It's not that these things are going to happen very quickly in a moment, but it's the moment these things start They're going to happen quickly. They're going to happen briefly. They're going to happen in a rapid space of time. And the New Testament says if you wouldn't come in a rapid pace of time, everybody would be dead. Everything would be gone. There'd be no human life left on earth. I don't know if you've ever gone out to the beach to watch a sunset, right? And if you get there too early, you're there waiting forever. Man, when is this thing going to go down, right? But if you get there the moment the sun touches the water... Now, the sun's not literally touching the water, but the moment it looks like, right, the sun's touching the water, you turn away, you're talking, and it's gone. It's in an instant. And that's what the return of Christ is going to look like. That's what the book of Revelation is going to look like. Again, how many of us in 2019 would think we would be where we are at today, right? Instead of being told not to come into the bank with a mask, they're telling you, hey, put your mask on before you come into the bank, right? How many of us thought this is where we would be, right? Again, quickly, it's going to happen. And this is a common theme throughout the book of Revelation. It, it almost bookends with this thought, with this mindset. In verse seven, Revelation one, it tells us, "Behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so amen. So that's how it starts off in chapter 1. If you would, you go to chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 20. This is how he ends the book of Revelation. He's coming quickly. Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 20. It says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Again, He's coming quickly. And this is a theme, not just the bookends of the book of Revelation, but it's found peppered throughout the book. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. You can just write it down. You don't have to turn there. Revelation 22, verse 7 and verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Family, this isn't just a theme throughout the book of Revelation. It's also a theme throughout the entire New Testament. He's coming quickly. And when we have this hope, when we have the mindset that Christ can return at any moment, it purifies us and it prepares us to be ready for the day of judgment. It keeps us, hopefully it should keep us from being lazy and just laying down and doing nothing for the kingdom of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it tells us everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as he is pure first john 4 verse 17 love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world family are you living a life of purity are you living a life of purity If you are, usually the mindset that Jesus can return at any moment helps you to not do stupid things, right? When you're thinking, man, is this really how I want to be found? Is this really how I want to be raptured and caught up, is in the middle of doing this? No, I'm going to stay away from that. I'm going to stay pure. Do we have boldness in the day of judgment? That's when God's love has been completed in us, is that we're ready, saying, Come, Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready to see him. I have no fear of where I'm going for all of eternity. I don't have a fear about the afterlife. I don't have fear about what happens. I am ready for his coming. I'm ready for his return. I'm ready to see him face to face. Again, it's interesting seeing how families that are predominantly Christians deal with someone dying versus families that are predominantly not saved deal with someone dying. And there's a night and day difference because they have no boldness. They have no hope. They know nothing except for this world. So they cling tightly to this world to a point where it doesn't make sense. But when we know that this life is a vapor, it's quick, it's 50 years or 60 years or 80 years, 100 years, right? God forbid, 120 years, right? Right? in this life, and then we spend the rest of eternity in our real life, in our eternal body, in our glorified body, it makes a lot more sense. And we're able to stay more focused on Him. The verse that sort of encapsulates this idea the best is in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. And it tells us, In a moment, In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Again, the rapture, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Just going to be a loud noise and then we're going to be caught up. The dead raised first with Christ and the rest of us hopefully caught up together with Him. Again, there's no moment to pray to get saved as it's happening. It's in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And then after that will be the hardest years this world has ever seen and ever known. Forget the Great Depression. Forget COVID. Forget the Holocaust. The tribulation will be the darkest days that our world has ever seen. Are we ready? Are we ready to be rescued? Are we ready to be caught up and taken with Christ? I pray that you're ready. Right? Depending on the movies you've seen or uh, the commentaries you read, some people they believe, I believe, it's just going to be a bunch of dead bodies all over the world, right? 20% of the world just drops dead all at once. They could blame it on a pandemic or on a this or on a that, right? And everybody just drops dead. All chaos ensues, right? That's that's what I think is going to happen. If you think maybe the movies, right? Everybody's going to be caught up and your clothes are going to be folded perfectly there and your shoes (laughs) kind of corny to me, right? But hey, if that's what you believe, that's fine. But I hope that you have that relationship with him, that you have that boldness that when, right, maybe it happens this morning, hopefully you wouldn't be the only person left here in the church, right? You'll have a lot of cool cars to drive off with, but that's about the only good news that that you got, right? That's the only good news that you got. Again, that we would be ready for his coming. We'd have that purifying factor within our life. Finally, God's word warns us that there will be those who would mock his coming. That there would be those who would mock the rapture. And I pray that we never fall prey to that. There's a certain portion within the church that they're just mocking anything with the rapture, anything with prophecy, anything in the future. Second Peter chapter 3. It's important, so we should turn there. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, verse 3 and 4. It says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation." Again, they'll begin to mock it. What's happened? Nothing has changed. It's the same. You've been talking about the rapture for 2,000 years. What are you talking about? It's never going to happen. Have to be careful with that. But You think of Noah and his family. Talk about difficulties for homeschool kids. Imagine Noah's kids, right? Every day out there helping their dad build that boat. Rain does not exist. Rain is not a word in their vocabulary, Right? I need, we need to build this boat because it's going to start squiggling from the sky, right? That's basically what he's saying, right? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. And for years, for decades, they would show up. They'd be bored. There's no TV, right? So they'd show up in front of Noah's house and mock him for building the ark, mock his family. But one day what happened? It started to rain. One day that thing that they thought would never, ever happen, never possible, doesn't exist, it started happening. Again, that's what's going to happen within our lifetime possibly. Hopefully this morning, hopefully this week is that we will be caught up. I just pray and hope each of you have that relationship with Jesus Christ so that you'll be caught up with us. Again, these things will happen very shortly. The book of Revelation is a book of prophecy and it's the only full book in the New Testament that is pretty much dedicated to prophecy. Most of the New Testament, right? a lot of historical things going on, the gospel, the book of Acts. Then you have the epistles. And then after that, you have the book of Revelation. So there's four different ways that people look at the book of Revelation in order to realize what's going on. First is the preterist theory. And that's that all of Revelation has already been fulfilled in the past. The book of Revelation only has to do with local references in John's day. And it's basically the struggles of the church against the Roman Empire. That's what they think is going on. That's what they believe. It's only about the church going through persecution against the Roman Empire. Now, I was talking with Joey about this. This is the true context of who the letter is being written to in this time period when it's being written. It's written to seven historical churches... But it does go beyond that. The second theory is the historical theory. It's the fulfillment of Revelation is going on in history. And Revelation is the prophetic history of the church. According to this theory. The problems of the church that has always had these problems. And will always have these problems with the world. As problems that were happening in this time period. This day and age. And the world's going to have these problems over and over and over and over again. The third view is the spiritual view or the poetical view. It's okay, don't worry, right? Uh, this is one of the Bible teachers I was listening to said, this is the stupid view, and this is the view that makes no sense, is that the book of Revelation is simply a spiritual allegory without any direct application to actual events. That I don't know if they believe God was just bored and wanted to play a joke on John or what was going on. But they think that all of this is just an allegory and it doesn't have any application to actual events. The final view, the fourth view, is the futurist view or practical view. This theory holds that the book of Revelation is primarily prophetic and yet in the future. Especially from Revelation chapter 4 on through the end of the book. And this is the view of all premillennialists and is the view which we accept and we present here at Calvary Chapel Miami. And a lot of the pastors we love and we respect and we listen to, they believe this same thing. Now again, to give a little bit of grace and credit to Martin Luther and John Calvin, reading the book of Revelation, it looked absolutely impossible In the day and age they were living in, in the technology they were living in, it looked absolutely impossible. But for us today, reading through the book of Revelation, right? During 2020, you're like, what chapter of Revelation are we living in today, right? That's basically what we were like, thinking it could happen at any moment. Today, okay, today's the COVID chapter. Next week is the race war chapter. The next day is the this chapter, right? We're ready for this. We think this can happen at any moment. And that's the view we have. It's a book of prophecy. And there's some people, even Christians, that think prophecy in the Bible is a waste of time. I hope none of us here. Why? Because 26% of the Bible is prophecy. So if you're wanting to throw out prophecy, you're basically saying a quarter of the Bible is a waste of time. I also think there are some believers, they swing to the other extreme. They are just obsessed and wrapped in prophecy and only prophecy. Instead of looking at the revelation of Jesus Christ, they're trying to find the revelation of the Antichrist, the revelation of Gog, Magog. They're looking at every news story and saying this and that is going to happen. And we have to be careful with that. Because when we become consumed in that, very rarely have I seen those people doing anything for the kingdom of God right here and right now. We're commanded to occupy until He comes. We're commanded to make disciples of all nations. We're commanded to preach the gospel to all creatures. And I have a hard time seeing people just obsessed with every prophecy doing these things. Again, we have to be careful. We hold true to that. We think He's coming at any day, any moment. But we have to plan and prepare like He's not coming for a long time. We have to hold these two things together. Verse 3, back in Revelation chapter 1. It reads, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. You see, the book of Revelation comes with its own built-in promise. Maybe the Lord knew that some of us looking at the middle chapters and all the carnage in Revelation would stay away from it, right? So he includes a built-in promise here. Blessed is he who reads, singular Blessed are those who hear. That's in the plural. And blessed are those who keep the things which are written in it. In the singular, that's me right now. As I'm reading the book of Revelation, I'm blessed reading it to you. Now you in the plural, all of you are blessed hearing and listening to the book of Revelation. Finally, what's the most important thing? That we keep these things. That is, we must endeavor to do the things that we find within the book of Revelation, right? Anybody here desire happiness? Anybody here want to be happy? Okay, more than the nine o'clock. That's good, right? That's good. There's a couple masochists at the nine or they didn't raise their hands. I don't know what's going on, right? But again, if we want happiness, right? That's what that word blessed means. Happy is he who reads those who hear and those who keep the things written in it. If you truly desire happiness, it's lining up your life more and more with the Word of God. And the more you line up your life with the Word of God, though you go through pain, though you go through trials, we will have that joy and that happiness that's found in Him. Now again, reading and hearing, that's sort of the easy part. The true question is, are we keeping the things of God's Word? And even within the book of Revelation... The Bible, year after year, is the top-selling book. Every year, top-selling book. But are we really obeying it? Are we really listening to it? Are we just hearers of the word or are we doers of it? And are we keeping it not only in life but even to the death? Are we willing to stand for this book? John Trappy says, Neither must we only live up to the words of the prophecy but die for it also. And be content to be burned with it, if called thereto as a holy martyr, who, when he saw the revelation cast into the fire with him, cried out, "O blessed revelation, How happy am I to be burned in thy company? Family, are you dead men and dead women walking already? You see, that's the beautiful thing about the disciples. These martyrs, they already died long before their physical lives ended. How do you stop those 11 men seeing their Lord and Savior died, buried, and you're resurrected in three days? How can you stop men like that? Who 40 days afterwards walked with their risen Savior telling them, hey, this is going to be you one day. How do you stop those men? They died. They gave up their lives long ago. And I hope that we would be ready to do the same. That we're not just living for Christ. We're willing to die for Him because we've already died like Romans 6. We've already been buried with Him. We've already crucified our flesh daily to walk with Him. Picking up our crosses and following our Lord and Savior. Verse 4 Verse 4, we can read it together. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests, To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, John, he's the author of this book. He's on the island of Patmos. We'll see that next week. And he's writing this to seven churches which are in Asia. Again, originally, the book of Revelation is addressed to seven historical churches which are in the western part of modern day Turkey. And as he's writing these books, they would get it, and now the pastor, the leader of those churches, they would read it out loud to their group. They didn't have a church building like this. More likely than not, they'd be in their own church home, maybe a synagogue or something like that, and now they're reading the book of Revelation out to one another. But look at the greeting, and here we see a beautiful picture of the Trinity, but look at the greeting from God the Father first. Grace to you and peace from him who is... And who was and who is to come. As we look at chapter two and chapter three later on, we'll see some of these churches are kind of doing good. Some of these churches are doing terrible, right? That Jesus says he wants to vomit them out of his mouth. And yet, how does God greet them? With grace and with peace. And that's how the Lord is greeting us here this morning. He wants to extend His grace and His peace towards each and every one of us. He's not greeting them, the God of all fury and judgment greets you. That's not how He's coming. He's meeting them with grace and peace. Family, this is the hand that God is extending to us right now. The God who was and is and is to come. He's extending grace and peace to you now if we humbly accept it, if we humbly accept His Word. right? It's been said within Scripture, we're either going to humble ourselves or we're going to be humiliated. Those are the two choices. We either humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and in due time He will exalt us, or if we continue to puff up our pride and say, I'm not going to humble myself, I'm not going to humble myself, what's going to happen is that we will be humiliated. The God who was and is and is to come. Again, He's seen all of your past. He's seen who you once were. He's seen all of the atrocities and evil things that you've done. And yet He greets you with grace and peace. He's the God who is. He sees truly who you are today. Not the mask that you put on for church, right? Not the fake persona that you put on for your family at Thanksgiving. He sees who you truly are. And yet He extends to you grace and peace. And He is the God who is to come. He's seen you past, present, and future. He knows all of the highs and all the lows that are up ahead for each of us personally. And yet He greets you with grace and peace. Again, our God loves us. He doesn't want to see any of us burning in hell for all of eternity. But we have to humble ourselves before Him. Again, God doesn't look at us and say, oof. This is what I got to work with? That's not how the Lord sees us. Sometimes we get surprised, right? Sometimes we think we're, we're, we're pretty amazing. That's what we think in our own minds, right? And then we fall, we sin, we stub our toe, an old four-letter word comes out, right? And then we're blown away. How could this happen, right? God's not surprised. He's seen it all, and yet he loves you and cares for you today. Do you have that walk with him? Do you have that relationship with him? Now we see the Holy Spirit. It says, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. We may read seven spirits. I thought there was just one Holy Spirit, right? This is speaking of the completion, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If you're quick, you could turn to Isaiah 11. If not, you could stay put here. But in Isaiah 11, we see again a Piece of prophecy here, speaking of Jesus, and it's speaking of how the Holy Spirit is going to rest upon him, and it gives us seven different attributes of this spirit. Isaiah chapter eleven, verse one and two, and it says, "The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom." The spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. These seven attributes. But more than these specific seven attributes standing there in the throne room of God, it's speaking of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The number seven is the number of completion. And we'll see it repeated throughout the book of Revelation. Seven spirits. Seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven this, seven that, seven eleven. You're gonna see it all and on, over and over again, there throughout the book of Revelation. But it's speaking of the completeness, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now it goes from Father, Son, and then it goes, it goes from Father and Holy Spirit to now Jesus the Son. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and ruler over the kings of the earth. First and foremost, Jesus is the faithful witness. This is the same word for for martyr, witness and martyr interchangeable. And Jesus is always faithful to God the Father and to his people no matter the cost. He's already proved that to us. Jesus, the firstborn from the dead. This is not telling us that Jesus was created, that he's the firstborn, but that he was the first to resurrect and never die again. Who's probably the second most famous person to ever resurrect? Lazarus, right? Maybe you know a Lazaro in your family, right? And Lazarus, he's the second most famous guy to resurrect. But what happened to Lazarus a couple years afterwards? The poor guy had to die again, right? Imagine having to die, not just once, but twice, right? That's what Lazarus had to go through. And now for us... Jesus is our trailblazer. He's the first one to die and resurrect and never die again. He died, he resurrected, and then he was in his spiritual state, in his new body. And now if we die together with him, if we humble ourselves, right, pick up our cross daily and follow him, abide with him, we will one day die and then resurrect with him, having our glorified bodies. We will one day die going through the biggest step of faith that every person has to go through. That's our biggest step of faith. It's having to go through death, having to go through that veil, and then waking up in glory with God. He's the ruler over the kings of earth. Again, Jesus is not, Jesus is not just your homeboy, right? He's not just your buddy. He doesn't just take the wheel when you're driving bad, right? Who is Jesus? Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that rules and reigns over all. I encourage you, be careful to not get sucked into the habit of consuming the news nonstop. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Read the book of Revelation, Fox News, CNN. They can't promise you happiness or blessing after watching the news, right? Or hearing it. But if we read through God's word, we will have a blessed life. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. We have to stop worrying and being tossed to and fro after every new story and after every day. Again, remember how the book ends. Remember how it all ends. Remember how all of history ends. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He will one day come and rule and reign, setting up his kingdom here. To him who has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He has loved us. Some Bible versions have it in the past tense. He loved us. Some Bible versions are in present. And there's no doubt God loves us presently. But it's a beautiful reminder to us that God demonstrated his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, Jesus demonstrated his love for us once and for all on the cross. Taking your wrath, taking my wrath, taking my shame, taking upon him my sins. And there he demonstrated his love for us. We have to be careful. Sometimes little little difficulties in life happen and we look up to heaven and say, God, do you even love me, right? Just me. That just happens to me, right? Yesterday we were driving back and we hit bad traffic and you could think, God, do you even love me, right? You go through difficulties. You have a breakup in middle school, right? We've all been there. God, do you even love me, right? Is this ever going to happen, right? We have to be careful with that. Our view of God's love should not swing depending on our present circumstances. And there's some of you here that you're going through real difficulties that can lead to you saying, Lord, where are you in all this, right? Where are, you? where are you in all this? The difficulty, the bad news at the doctor's office, the bad news at the hospital. And we can say, Lord, where are you? But we can always look back at the cross and be reminded, he loves me. He gave his own life for me while I was still an enemy, while I was still dead in my sins. Again, family, don't allow your view of God's love to swing back and forth depending on your present circumstances. Allow it to be settled in what He has already done for you. And yes, He loves you today. It says, and He's washed us from our sins in His own blood. If we're here and we humbled ourselves, right, we come to God and we say, Yes, Lord, the only way to wash my sins is to come to you. He washes us from our sins. He cleanses us from our sins, right? The world gives up different ways to cover sins, but there's only one way for sins to be covered and washed away, and that's in the blood of Jesus Christ. And now if we accept that gift, he washes those sins away from us. It's that he's pulling them off of our bodies, and that can only be done in and through Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you here are being destroyed by guilt of your past, Memories of, once, of what you once did. Guilt over and over again. Be reminded there's only one way to have that guilt taken from you. And that's in and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, And he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We should be reminded where we've come from. And what he's done with us, he has made us kings, right? Ladies, you can look at your husband and call him king, right? Husbands, you can look at your wife and call her queen, right? That's okay. That's biblical because that's what God has done in each and every one of us. He has made us his own royalty. He has given us his privilege, his status, and in a sense, even his authority. He's given that to us. Again, some, there's some people that they really struggle with um, their view of themselves and who they are. Again, look at your view within Scripture. And now there's some of us, we love to be called, yeah, yeah, I'm a king. That's who I am, right? Some people, they take that out of context. They run with it. They wreck it, right? But the other end of that is that we are also made priests. It's our job to rightly represent God to mankind, I don't see so many people running with that idea, right? Priests. People that want to be called prophet and other things. But priests, right? Priests. It's our role. God has given us the job to represent God to man. And in a sense to intercede and pray for man to God. It's our job to offer sacrifices of praise unto him. It's our job, Romans 12, right? That we offer up our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Are you fulfilling your role as a priest? Are you fulfilling that role? Yes, we're kings, queens, but we are priests to His God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, in all that we do, we should be giving God the glory. right It amazes me. Social media, the whole idea of it, started that you'd be able to connect with old friends, right? old college people that you never thought you ever wanted to connect with but now you can connect with them right old people from high school middle school but now what is it all about so it's about yourself right it's only about yourself it's just self pushing out there over and over again is it difficult for you to not give glory to god even within your social media or is it all about giving and attaining the glory to yourself it's just all about you now, if you're using it for business, stuff like that, I get it. I understand it. But where does the glory go within our lives? As we're talking with non-believers, do we hoard the glory? Do we buy into our own press? Are we saying, no, man, I'm, I'm clay. I'm the lowest of the low. He found me in the pit, and there he picked me up and put me on the rock. Where does the glory go in our lives? Are we giving God the glory that's due to his name? And some of us, we may be willing to give him the glory... But far fewer of us struggle with giving him the dominion that's due to his name. Does God have dominion over every facet of your life? Are there certain areas, certain little kingdoms that you're saying, God, this isn't for you. You can't touch this. You can't have dominion over that. He already has dominion over that. But right, we're fighting with him. We think in our own pride, no, Lord, this is mine. This is not yours. Are we giving him the dominion that is due to his name? Charles Spurgeon, he says again, if we truly say to him, be glory and dominion, then we must give him dominion over ourselves. Each man is a little empire of three kingdoms, body, soul, and spirit, and it should be a united kingdom. Make Christ king of it all. Do not allow any branch of those three kingdoms to set itself up as a distinct rule. Put them all under the sway of your one king. Does God have dominion over all your life? Over your bank accounts, over your phone, your YouTube search history? Does He have dominion over it all? The way you speak to your spouse, the way you speak to your kids, the way you're working, does God have dominion over it all? We need to give Him the dominion that is due to His name. Verse 7 Behold, He's coming with clouds, right? There it is once again. He's coming. Be ready, be prepared, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. Worship team, you can come up. We'll look at this more next week. But again, every eye will one day see who Jesus truly is. Right now, there's some that mock him. There's some that we belittle him, right? We think he's just an old person in the history books. But one day every eye will see him for who he truly is. And what does it say, right? Even they who pierced him. Even some of our contemporaries that were telling him he's died for us. He's died for us. He's taken our sin. He's taken our shame. Even one day they will see him for who he truly is. And it's all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. I just pray, family, I hope that we see him for who he truly is today. Don't have to wait till the end of ages. You don't have to wait till the end of days to see who Jesus truly is. I pray that this morning you would ask, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal to me who you truly are. Again, I love the end of the chapter. It gives us a picture of Jesus, right? There are people, they try to paint different pictures of Jesus. The Bible doesn't really tell us how he looked like, right? Isaiah just tells us that he looked plain. He looked like any other guy walking around. But here it tells us of who he truly is today. He once came as a suffering servant, but now he's ruling and reigning in heaven. He's praying on behalf of us. He's interceding for us. He's wanting to speak to you here this morning. Will we have that fresh revelation of who Jesus Christ is? So hey, let's all stand. Uh, the pastors will be up front for prayer. Maybe you don't know Jesus, right? Maybe you have no revelation of who He is. Come up front. Pray with one another, the pastors. Uh, if not, we'll close in worship. Lord, we just pray, God, that again Your Holy Spirit would be revealing Yourself to us, God. Lord, we thank You that You have not concealed this fact, Lord. You have not hidden it, Lord, but Lord, You're declaring it. This morning You're declaring it and Lord, churches all over the world, God. Lord, I pray that our lives would be declaring the truth of the gospel, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That the creator of heaven and earth was willing to die and give his life for for each of us here, Lord. Lord, I pray that we'd hold on to that fact, Lord, that we would let go of our pride, God. We'd let go of thinking we can do it better, or that we're smarter, Lord, we're better than the Bible, God. God, I pray that each of us this morning, we'd humble ourselves to give you more and more, Lord. To give you the throne of our lives, Lord, the dominion over our lives. Again, may each of us just be dead men and women walking, Lord. We're walking in newness of life, Lord. We're dead, but now Christ lives in and through each and every one of us. So, Lord, we just love you. We thank you, God. In your name we pray, amen.